Hello everyone, this is Paul Aronowitz, faculty member at UC Davis School of Medicine, and I'm your host for UC Davis Department of Internal Medicine Story Slam. And these are recordings of stories told by UC Davis School of Medicine faculty, as well as by internal medicine residents. Uh, first recordings were done in May at a gathering, and the rest were done in September. So I hope you enjoy them. First one's by Dr. Neha Mantri. Hello. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Neha, and I'm a second-year uh, resident. I was going to say medical student. <laughs> second-year resident, thankful. <laughs> um, the title of my story is My Father. And before I begin, I'd just like to thank Anne so much for organizing this. I think, as you've already seen, it's just such a great forum for all to self-reflect and just think about why we even went into this profession. So thank you. I'll start with a quote by Hippocrates. Wherever the art of medicine is loved, there is also love of humanity. Unknowingly, over the past few years, I've become better and better at car 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 compartmentalizing. Here at Davis, without blinking an eye, I can pound on people's chests, I can deliver them electric shocks, I can prod and poke in almost any orifice in the name of I'm saving a life. I can still count the number of times I've actually shed tears for patients, and it's becoming less and less as frequent as time goes on. I'm getting really good at blocking out any, in any small negative emotion that comes with each patient's story. I wouldn't really confuse this with a lack of empathy or care for my patients, but instead, I used to think of it as a strength, a strength that you have to keep to be sane. You, when you think about it, you go through the severity and intensity of so many patient interactions every single day. We are almost forced to block them out, forced to move on, and move on quickly. Two weeks ago, I met Mr. Gonzalez. He showed me how to use the pause button. I met him at the end of his journey. He was a true VA special, as we like to call them. An elderly gentleman with hypertension, diabetes, heart failure, CAD, and the list goes on. He came in with a cold foot for five days. I know some of the residents are thinking, stat vascular consult, I'm out. But the story goes on. He was transferred to Davis and admitted to the vascular surgery service and did under undergo a vascularization. However, that evening he had worsening mental status, severe lactic acidosis, and again, he was on the surgery service, so they took him back to the OR. He again went through surgery, and this time he had his entire leg cut off. Postoperatively, he was even worse. He was on three pressors now. He was intubated, and he had an EF of now 35%. Cardiology was consulted, and Dr. Stripe thought this would be the perfect patient for me to see 30 minutes before we rounded. So as I headed towards the ICU, putting all the pieces of the story together of the last 10 days, I was stopped by one of the primary team interns who said, this family is crazy, brace yourself. So I took a deep breath. I had my share, fair share of difficult families I knew, and I knew that in the last couple of weeks over these as a con consultant, I could always fall back on, well, you know, that would be a great question for the primary team. So as I stepped into the room with half a dozen family members staring at me and asking me questions after questions, why did he get his whole leg cut off? No one asked us about that. Is he really going to make it, Doc? Do you think he'll need another amputation? 
But I wasn't really paying attention because behind me the sounds of the alarms kept going off. His maps started dropping. 60s, 40s, 30s, 20s. And before I even had time to answer a single question, I said start, comp- start chest compressions now. As the family members stood b- uh, behind me and asked, you've done this before, right? I ran through the ACLS cards in my mind and I ran my first code. Afterwards, I spoke with the daughter regarding the critical state of her father. She was frazzled. She was confused. She was upset and saddened all at the same time. As I had to rush through rounds, I assured her that the primary team was going to come back in just a few minutes and address all of her concerns, but the big picture was we were supporting him through this and he was going to get better. I quickly touched base with the team, and the attending called me personally to thank me of how good of a job I've done with the code. I felt good. It was my first code. The patient lived. It was a success. I did recommend that they rediscuss the code status because it looked like the patient and the family had some questions to address, but they assured me that he was a full code and we were going to keep going. The next morning, I, head to the, I headed to the ICU, 8 a.m., coffee in one hand, EKG and telestrips in the other, and I started hearing a beep and a beep, and the bad beeping keep, kept going. The nurses ran up to me and said, Doc, thank God you're here. The heart rates have just been in the 40s to 120s. And as I looked at the tally monitor, it was going down to the 30s and the 20s. We started pacing him immediately. And as I entered the room again, the family looked at me like I was just some type of bad karma that kept coming in. I hurriedly told the sister the rapid turn of events and explained the need for a permanent pacemaker. She looked at me like I had to be joking. Another procedure, more prodding, more poking, all for what? I told her that we needed to save the heart. I was a cardiology service and we needed to save the heart. And if she could just please sign the consent. So after somewhat relieving her or just postponing her anxiety, uh, they kept saying they needed to wait and they really wanted to talk to somebody that had done it. And I just didn't have the courage to say I had really done this before. I was so frustrated, so I called Benny. He came to the bedside and said, yes, I've done this before. You know, we have, we will do it under proper guidance, and we may need to take him down to the cath lab. And so she said, you know, I'll prefer if you just do it at bedside. But he didn't have access, so we quickly just rushed him down without even really explaining to them what was going to happen down the cath lab. But she got it. She got her permanent pacemaker, and we were relieved. After the procedure, I again called the primary team, they start, I told them that, you know, the family's really starting to withdraw, wanting to withdraw care. I'm not sure if every one of these procedures is really helping. But they ended with, it's okay, it's okay. He's still full code, so we need to give him at least 48 hours to declare himself. So he had an AST, ALT in the 10,000s. His trope was above 50. He was on dialysis on sled, but he hadn't declared himself yet. So we needed to give him time. And I, have, of course, agreed. I, I said, yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, and I, at the end of the conversation, I said, but he won't need another amputation, right? He said, yeah, he'll probably need one in about two weeks, but we'll worry about that then. We just need to support him. I remember thinking at that moment, I wish I could have talked to Mr. Gonzalez right now. Would he be okay being a double amputee, living in a sniff for at least a year? Would he still have signed his life off as a full code if he knew what we were about to do to him? The vascular surgery service was the primary, and we had to follow their lead. That afternoon, as I went back to see the family, the daughter took me aside and said, Dr. Montre, I really want you to listen. We want to withdraw care. 
no, no, no. I said, you guys don't understand. We have to give him 48 hours. The surgical, the vascular surgeon herself is going to be here in a five to 10 minutes. Just wait. And as I started my medical spiel, she quickly interrupted me and physically shook me and said, let me put it in a simpler way for you. If this were your father, what would you do? I paused. For the first time, I was speechless. An image of my dad flashed through my mind. I hadn't come close to shedding a tear throughout his entire hospitalization, and in fact, for the past several months. But thinking of my own father in that bed caused tears to flood into my eyes. I gave her an answer I thought was terrible, but it was the truth. I don't know what I would do. As I headed to the ICU the next morning, I could hear soft sobs and soft music playing outside the room. The entire family and chaplain were inside the room holding hands as Mr. Gonzalez was being unhooked from dialysis. As I entered, the daughter immediately came up to me and gave me a hug. As I was about to apologize, she said, I'm sorry, Dr. Montre. We just couldn't do it any longer. We wouldn't have wanted this, and he wouldn't have wanted this. So I think we all just need to take a step back. It was almost as if she were comforting me. She was telling me it was okay to stop. It was okay to press the pause button. As I stayed in the room holding the daughter's hand, I looked at Mr. G. I thought all about the harm that we had actually done to him. We cut off his leg. We caused him this ischemia reperfusion syndrome. We coded him. We caused a pneumothorax. We gave him contrast and he ended up on dialysis. All in the name of, but we're saving his life and he's full code. We try hard to predict the future when we admit a patient into the emergency department. Are you okay with being on pressors? Are you okay with shocks? Are you okay with uh, chest compressions, ET tube? All these questions roll off our tongue in the matter of seconds. I quote one of my favorite authors, Athil Gawande, we look for medicine to be an orderly field of knowledge and procedure, but it is not. It is an imperfect science, an enterprise of constant changing knowledge, uncertain information, fallible individuals, and at the same time, lives are on the line. There is science in what we do, yes, but also habit, intuition, and sometimes plain old guessing. The gap between what we know and what we aim for will persist, and this gap complicates everything we do. Mr. G taught me that it is okay to shed tears. It's okay to press the pause button. He reminded me that we didn't need to just treat his acute limb ischemia, but instead we needed to treat him as a person and as a father. Most importantly, Mr. G taught me the necessity of bringing back the art of medicine, particularly when faced with the gap. Thank you.